Hi, thank you for tuning into the Schwartz Decks. I'm Lisa Quintero, Young Adult Librarian. And I'm Lizzie Jelly, Virtual Engagement Librarian. This is the show where we talk to you about what we've been listening to, reading, or watching. And this month we are talking to you about audiobooks since we are in May and several folks go on trips during the summer. So what better time than to talk about things you could listen to in the car? Absolutely. I I love listening to audiobooks in the car. Mm -hmm. Like I am. (laughs) I have a a car nice enough now where I can hook my phone right up to it with like the Hoopla CarPlay or the Mm -hmm. Libby CarPlay. Mm -hmm. And it's awesome oh, cool. like it's one of my favorite little commute things i'm like oh boy time to drive so i can listen to my book <laughs> <laughs> yeah i'm a big fan too um i a few years ago installed an upgraded cd player in my car because uh the old one just had a cd player and didn't have bluetooth capabilities Ooh. but now i have bluetooth so i can listen to my libby books and my hoopla books and it's awesome it is great yes i love it so yeah i was gonna start off with uh the first book that I read recently, uh, which was actually a romance, which was actually Diana Quincy, which she recommended some of her books before. Um, and so this book is called Tempting Bella, and it is about Mirabella and Sebastian. And Mirabella and Sebastian get married when she is 13 and he is 19 because her dad is a duke and he's a has a gambling problem and he gambles with um, Sebastian's father and Sebastian's father is like, all right, well, your daughter has to marry my son in order to fulfill your debt. And so, you know, not a great way to start a marriage. <laughs> um, and Sebastian is referred to as the saint because his father has these very strict rules. And, you know, he's this upstanding citizen. And his father treats him very poorly because he is clearly a bastard. Like his mm-hmm. brothers all have red hair. He has brown hair. They, You know, he doesn't know who his who his father is. He's like... My mom had an affair, and so I need to prove to my dad that I can be as good as he is. And so after he marries Mirabella, she still lives with her father, and um, but she's his wife. And so he doesn't see her for several years. She gets sent off to finishing school, and she, you know, and after finishing school, she asks if she can tour the continent, and he doesn't want to deprive her of that ability, so he lets her tour the continent, and she does that for a couple years and goes to Spain and a few different places, Italy, in the hopes of learning how to manage an estate because she is mad that she got married off to this man. Fair enough, I would be too. Like, <laughs> Yeah, and so he remembers her as this, like, plump, unattractive, plain-faced child. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, but he's like, I'm going to stay the course, I'm going to be faithful, I'm not going to have any ladies on the side, you know, unlike other people. And so the, his friends all call him the saint because he doesn't drink, he doesn't, you know, have ladies on the side he's you know this upstanding citizen but he goes to the opera one day with his friends and he encounters this beautiful woman and she makes him question everything oh. <laughs> and um you know they have to go to their seats because the opera's starting and so he doesn't get her name but then he encounters her again at a party and at the party um it's being thrown in honor of his brother because one of his brothers is a painter and she's commenting on the painting and he realizes that she's really intelligent in addition to being beautiful the perfect woman the perfect woman and then of course as this goes on he realizes he learns that she is his wife <laughs> i should have known knowing diana quincy's writing like of course she is <laughs> And, um, but she is very mad at her husband because she's like, my husband abandoned me and she has no idea what he looked like. And she's like, this man doesn't care about me. And he just married me for my money. 
And she doesn't know that's her husband. She doesn't know it's her <laughs> husband. And it takes her quite a while to figure out that it's her husband. And then when she does figure out it's her husband, kind of has to woo her because, you know, she feels like he lied to her because he knows before she does and he doesn't tell her right away. He tries to, but she, you know, kind of shuts him down well, every time enough. he tries to tell her. So, and, um, you know, because they meet in secret a couple times and she's like, I shouldn't do this because I'm married. <laughs> and he's just like, yeah, to me. <laughs> yep. I love that. <laughs> So yeah, it was cute and it was interesting because, you know, I liked the fact that even though he married her when she was 13, he like respected her that she was, you know, a child. You know, we learned that her dad is an alcoholic and has a gambling problem, but he also, the reason that he married her off to Sebastian was because he knew that he had a good head on his shoulders and that he had this reputation and he wanted her to have, you know, a good husband. And ultimately, Sebastian, because he likes her because she's intelligent and stuff, ends up letting her help run the estate and... Um, he he has a, a surprise revelation in the book. Uh, the the series this is part of a series called um, Accidental Peers, I think. Ooh, I love that. And so he has a secret revelation later on, and that kind of throws a wrench in things, but also brings them closer together. So, so yeah, it was super cute. Um, I would recommend it. I listened to it on Hoopla. Absolutely, I love Diana Quincy's books as audiobooks. Like truly, no one can write like a complex historical romance with just awesome women leads uh-huh. like she does they're uh-huh. always so cool yeah in a similar vein mm-hmm. one that i just finished recently after being on the wait list for a long time was iron widow uh-huh. by hiran jay Zhao, um and it's read by rong fu oh. and i was shocked at how much i loved this book like all the reviews were good this is a young adult sci-fi novel inspired by chinese history with this like um mecha element oh, cool. like where people like pilot robot suits mm-hmm. and so that was completely new to me i'd never dabbled in anything like this but mm-hmm. i was like these reviews in this book is so fantastic so i have to give it a try and oh my gosh i loved it cool i am so into it um rong fu is just such a fantastic and immersive narrator as well and i liked listening to it as an audiobook because it is so deeply rooted in chinese history like the terminology and the culture and everything it was really Nice to listen to it instead Uh of reading it on the page. So it was so immersive. Basic plot is 18-year-old Zetian volunteers to be a concubine pilot to, like, pilot a chrysalis mecha robot suit thing with a man um, after her sister died in battle doing the same thing. She ends up being super, super powerful. Like, so powerful she's off the charts and she kills her pilot in battle, (laughs) um, becoming what they call an iron widow. Okay. Um, like a woman who is so powerful, she will overpower the man she was paired with. Okay. So they were like, mm, can't have that. Can't have a powerful lady. So in an effort to kind of control her, the government strategists assign her to be the concubine pilot of like this super powerful and famous and like dangerous pilot named Li Shimin. Mm-hmm. And he's like always in chains kind of thing because they found him in like a prison camp after he like killed his family but he was so powerful they're like you're going to war bud Mm -hmm. um and so she's like listen i'm gonna kill this man too (laughs) (laughs) i don't care how big he is i'm gonna do this this is my revenge but they end up having to learn to really trust each other and work together because they are both kind of being oppressed by that system right Mm -hmm. like he's not allowed any of the benefits she's not either and they have to work together to try to like change this misogynist system and uncover like the big government plot which is huge by the way Mm -hmm. um shook me to my core um and just survive the Mm -hmm. system because the second they start you know you know maybe we're both not on opposite sides of this the government cracks down Mm -hmm. on them and is like you know what we can do 
we can just kill you, actually. Mm-hmm. And they're like, oh, well, we can't have that. So, <laughs> But it was, oh, my gosh. It was so immersive, so cool. And it's what I would call, like, a good-for-her novel, mm-hmm. where a woman who's been wronged by all the men in her life just really gets her revenge and comes out on top. And I mm-hmm. truly loved that for her. Definitely check the content warnings before reading this one because there is discussion of, like, sexual assault. And there's a lot of graphic violence. Like, mm-hmm. this is a war story. Mm-hmm. The author does not shy away from describing the battles yeah, yeah. so definitely check that out but i highly recommend it yeah yeah and like we were talking about before um it's amazing how a narrator can make or break a, yes a audiobook um i have a lot of favorite narrators and i'll be talking about a few of them but they're you know yeah it's sometimes you try an audiobook and the person just their voice is grating and you're like I cannot do this <laughs> I have had that happen multiple times because I need to have the narrator really fit the text and all uh-huh. the ones that I've picked for this I felt the narrator really fit the text and uh-huh. that's something that's really valuable to me as like a real audiobook connoisseur yeah. anymore are a couple like really big things with narrators like I love distinguishable character voices mm-hmm. and I'm a big fan of series as we all know and I love narrator continuity. Mm. Like I was reading the A Court of Thorns and Roses series as audiobooks, which are great, mm. but they change narrators three times oh, during yeah. the series. And it really took me out of it, yeah. unfortunately. Um, so all of these ones are ones that I'm like, you know, vetted by me. Yeah. This narrator fits this text, does an excellent job. The characters are good. And I found them super immersive. Yeah, yeah, same. Yeah, I, I tend to like narrators that are either actors or voice actors. because. Yes. Um, you know, they put a lot more emphasis into the emotions and things like that. I've read a few where the narration was narrated by the um, author. And mm-hmm. sometimes the authors can be great. And sometimes the authors, it's just like deadpan. And you're like, I can't. I can't. <laughs> I do. I can sometimes, like a memoir read uh-huh. by the author. I can usually do that pretty well. But yeah, otherwise I'm like, mm, maybe we should have a... Someone with a little more spice to yeah, this one. Yeah, <laughs> so I'm going to talk about some of my favorite narrators. Oh, yes. Um, so one of my favorites is Bonnie Turpin, and she has done everything from adult books to young adult books to children's books. Uh, more famously, she did Angie Thomas's The Hate You Give and On the Come Up. And so those have both been turned into movies, and The Hate You Give had got a lot of acclaim a few years ago. It's about uh, a girl named Star Carter who witnesses the death of her best friend at the hands of police and how she deals with that. She lives in a community called Garden Heights, but she attends a prestigious private school. And so most of her classmates are white and she's black. And then in her community, um, you know, a lot of people are facing adversity and, you know, her classmates don't really understand. And she kind of has to navigate these two different worlds and figure out what her place is in it. And on the come up, is about Brie, and it also takes place in that same Garden Heights world, and she wants to be a rapper. And her father was a rapper, his name was, or his rap name was Lawless, and he ended up getting killed in gang violence, and so, but he was considered a great and in the neighborhood, and she wants to follow her dreams. And then it becomes, like, really important that she does, because her family gets evicted, mm-hmm. and she's like, I need to make this money, but, you know, she learns a lot about the music business, and, you know, some of the roughness in it and because her father's old manager um his name is supreme he becomes her manager but he you know has weird business practices that she didn't realize and yeah so both of those are really good um i also really like bonnie turpin's narration of the mighty miss malone by christopher paul curtis which is a children's book that one is um for like like it's around like nine or ten and it's a historical fiction book about Deza malone um, she is the smartest girl in her class in Gary, Indiana, 
but um, the depression has hit Gary Indiana hard, so her dad has to go out looking for work. Um, but, you know, they don't know where he's going. They don't really have a way to communicate because during the Depression, people would just hop on trains and just mm-hmm. start going out to different cities and looking for work. And so she and her mom and her brother end up going up to Michigan and end up in Hooverville, Michigan, which is just outside of Detroit. And her brother is, has, like, this beautiful voice, and he really wants to be a singer. And so at first they live in this camp that's just like an encampment of people who are, you know, looking for work and whatnot. And um, her brother Jimmy starts singing at some local places and going around because he wants to make this his career. And then her and her mom end up trying to figure out a way to make that area their home and um, keep looking for her dad. And so it's it's sad, but it's uplifting. And, you know, she truly is the mighty Miss Malone because she is a strong, tough little girl. And I love it. Other narrators that I really like are... Tim Curry narrated Lemony Snicket's A Series of Unfortunate Events. Who, you that know, sounds Tim, fantastic. Tim Curry, the actor, <laughs> yes. Um, and so, for those who don't know, Lemony Snicket's another children's series about the Baudelaire children who have been orphaned, and in each book they get sent to a different relative to live with their different relatives, and all their relatives are kind of unhinged. And, um, <laughs> it's putting it lightly. <laughs> yes, sometimes trying to kill them. Um, and so it's all about their their adventures. It's like a... a older sister, a brother, and a baby, and um, yes, they are you know, all, all narrated by Tim Curry, and he does an absolutely fantastic job. And then another narrator that I really like is Will Wheaton, who used to be Wesley Crusher on Star Trek, <laughs> um, and he also is like a big nerd and does like this, um, oh, it's called like On the Table, where he plays board games on YouTube with a bunch of other celebrities, um, but he has narrated a few different sci-fi books, including Ready Player One by Ernest Cline, um, and his narration of that one is also excellent. And that one, if you are someone who grew up with, like, 80s video games and 80s movies, has a lot of nostalgic factor in it, and it is fantastic. Those are my main narrator recommendations. I love that. And one of my favorite things about um, Hoopla as well is you can search by narrator. Mm-hmm. So if you listen to a book you really like, you can scroll down, click on the narrator, and all the other audiobooks they've narrated will come up. And mm-hmm. I'm, I do that all the time. If I listen to one, I'm like, oh, I loved her, actually. What else has she done? Yeah. And a lot of audiobook narrators are quite prolific yes. as well. So you can find a ton in their voice. Yeah. What other books do you have? Oh, my gosh. Well, y'all know I love to read fantasy. So I've been reading a lot of, like, books that take me other places. You know, mm-hmm. in preparation for road trip season, I want to visit some different worlds. Yeah. So one of them was called The Midnight Bargain by okay. C.L. Polk. came out in 2020, so it's a few years old, and it's narrated by Moira Quirk. Um, and this is another really great kind of fantasy about going against some gender norms in your society and carving your own path. Set in this, like, fantasy world, really reminiscent of, like, Regency England, mm-hmm. um, where magic is taken away from women when they get married. Only men are allowed to formally train as sorcerers because they use, like, spirits mm-hmm. to do magic. And so they're mm-hmm. like, well, if a woman has a spirit in her and becomes pregnant, the spirit is going to take over the mm-hmm. baby. And then you've got, like, a, a demon child, basically. <laughs> Never mind. So they like they literally collar the women when they get married. It's really gross. But never fear. Beatrice, our lovely heroine, is determined to become a great woman magician anyway. Mm -hmm. She's like, I'm not getting married. I don't care about any of this. I'm going to do it even if you tell me no. Um, So she starts practicing in secret and she finds this set of like coded grimoires that were written by other women sorcerers. And so they use a code to like teach women magic on the sly. Mm -hmm. It's awesome. And then she ends up at a bookstore looking for a grimoire, and it gets snatched out from under her by a pair of really wealthy siblings. 
Um, so she's like, oh, crap, now i got to befriend them because I need that book. And they don't know what that book is. Plot twist, they do know what that book is. <laughs> <laughs> so she does befriend them. And she becomes unexpectedly really attached to the handsome brother, Ayante. But as they get closer, she and the sister start studying magic together. They realize just how dangerous it can be and how much the men of their society really don't want them to. Mm-hmm. So they kind of jump through some hoops. There's a really great escape scene at the Modiste. Um, incredible if you love those kind of Regency era mm-hmm. antics. Beatrice then ends up having to kind of choose between marrying the man that she's come to love who's really supportive of her studying magic and willing to help her or actually pursuing her dream of becoming a great woman magician because they're, everyone's telling her she can't have both. Um, so we really get to watch her navigate that and have these really complex conversations with her family, all the siblings, and it has a perfect ending. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> it's a really good read. Like if you're a fan of like Sarah Penner and her like London Seance Society, okay. Lost Apothecary, very similar in that vein. Um, and Moira Quirk was a fantastic narrator. Okay. Yeah. I also uh, recently listened to some fantasy. I Several years ago, because this series started several years ago, I started reading uh, the Broken Earth series by N.K. Jameson. And um, so I listened to the second book in the series. I've been to do that for a while now. And I had started it like a year ago, but never finished it because other things came up. But the series is about this woman named Essen, and it's an Afrofuturist series. And she is an origin. And what that means is that she can move rocks and energy with like her mind. Ooh, um, cool. Yeah. But in this world, children with this ability are taken from their parents uh, when they're small. And they're taken by these people named guardians to a place called the Fulcrum, where they are trained in order to do this stuff to keep the world from falling apart. Because the world has gone through several things called seasons, which are basically, you know, when you think about like the Ice Age or things like that, where there's been famine or there's been drought for like a thousand years. And so... They're trying to prevent another season, and they're trying to use the origins to prevent the season. But the origins are kind of treated like slaves. Um, you know, they, they tie them up in these machines. They train them to do these things by, like, doing horrible things to them, like breaking their hands and things like that. Um, anyway, so uh, Essen grows up in this world, and she ends up escaping when they're, like, uh, there's this big event, this cataclysmic event that triggers a new season. And it kind of is told, or is told in a, like, retrospective way. So it starts, you know, she's telling the story of what happened previously. And at first, it was, the first book was a little confusing because it's told via her stone eater. And so stone eaters are these people who follow origins around. And they are people who we don't exactly know how they became stone eaters or what they are. But basically, once a origin starts to die, their body starts turning to stone, and this person will eat pieces of their body. Whoa. <laughs> Weird. And it turns to stone. <laughs> but they follow them around, trying to keep them alive and trying to help them. And so that's kind of like the, the setup in the first book. She meets her stone eater. Um, we get a little bit of background on her, her story at the fulcrum. And then in the second book, it's called The Obelisk Gate. And in that one, she learns about these different obelisks that exist around the world and how they can be pulled down to the planet and used in these different machines to do things. And in this world, our moon is no longer in our orbit, and one of the things that needs to be done is that the moon needs to be brought back into orbit. 
And so she is a very powerful origin. And there's two different factions. The, like, the Fulcrum and the Guardians don't want the moon to come back for some reason. Okay. But the Stone Eaters want to restore the balance of the planet and like have the moon come back. It's pretty bad if the moon's like, yeah, yeah, not, I feel not like it's bad. bad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so she ends up having these children because um, for a while there, she after she escapes, she pretends to be normal and like lives with this guy and mm. has kids. But he doesn't know that his kids are have these abilities and that she has these abilities. And so he ends up, um, when the, the season is triggered, he ends up killing one of her kids because he realizes that he's a, a origin. Oh and gosh. she ends up running away. And he ends up not killing his daughter because he really likes his daughter. Um, she's his favorite. And she kind of figures out how to like make him forget that she's she has abilities and that she is you know who she is. And so he and her go off to this camp, and we learn that she's even more powerful than her mom. And so you kind of see these different things at play, because she's with the people who want the moon to not come back, and her mom is with the people who want the moon to come back. Interesting. (laughs) And her mom is looking for her, but her mom in the meantime, because the season has been triggered, there's no food, there's all these weird insects and things and animals that are, you know, out there eating people. Um, and people, you know, it's very post-apocalyptic, like bands of people attacking people. And so she ends up finding this community that is underground in a big um, geode. And cool. she's like living there and trying to figure out what her next steps are. And so that's the second book in the series. And then I'm looking forward to finding out how it all wraps up in the third book. But yeah, it's it's really neat because there's a lot of magic. Um, there's a lot of a lot of new ideas in terms of the the post-apocalypse stuff, yeah. you know, like it just, I mean, there's the, the standard stuff like drought and no food and, and predators and whatnot, but some of the things that she comes up with, the author, are just so like, oh, cool. cool. Yeah, yeah. Cool. Yeah. yeah. And I really like it because it's, you know, this story about like liberation and like empowerment and um, using your powers and accepting your powers because, you know, that the origins are taught from a young age, the ones who went to the fulcrum to be ashamed of who they are. But then when she's living in this community, in this um, geode, in this particular community, they had had origins living there that they wouldn't send away. Like the parents mm. kept it all a secret because they felt that the people were useful to the community and they also didn't want to send their children away. Fair enough. Um, and so, you know, she this starts to open her mind to like, oh, there are different ways of, of being and this isn't something to be ashamed of. And like, yeah, it's really cool. I love that. That yeah. sounds good. Yeah, yeah. Well, in a similar vein, um, my next one is also kind of a a good-for-you survival story, Mm -hmm. take-your-destiny-in-your-hands kind of energy, and it's called When No One Is Watching by Alyssa Cole. Mm -hmm. Um, This is a thriller that came out in 2020. It was pretty big when it came out, and Alyssa Cole is actually one of my favorite romance authors, and this is her first kind of dabble in writing a thriller, and Mm -hmm. personally, I loved it. Um, And I loved how her style choices in the thriller really reflect her history as a romance author. Mm -hmm. Um, It's a dual perspective story, and there's a really big emphasis on the emotions in the story as well. Um, And it's it's read by two narrators as well, by Susan Dalian and Jaya Sang. Um, And the audiobook also features an interview with Alyssa Cole at the end, so highly recommend that. Mm -hmm. But now for what it's about. This is a gentrification horror story. Okay. And it's... I know it sounds so wild, but it's so well executed. Uh-huh. Like, I, I'm obsessed with uh-huh. this book. 
Um, but it follows Sydney Green, and she is tired of watching gentrification just slowly consume her historically black neighborhood in Brooklyn. Mm-hmm. Um, she ends up on a walking tour mm-hmm. of the neighborhood that's completely whitewashed. The um, the white girl leading the tour doesn't know anything about the history of the neighborhood. So Sydney's, of course, is asking questions. She's like, well, what do you know about this? And the mm-hmm. girl's like, can you save that for the end of the tour? <laughs> so Sydney just gets more and more upset. She's like, "What? what is the point of this? Um, so it ends up really being the last straw for her. And she's like, you know what? Fine. I'm going to make my own walking tour then. And we're going to talk about the actual history of this historically black neighborhood. Mm-hmm. Um, so she ends up with some kind of unwanted help from her new neighbor, Theo, who's a white man. Mm-hmm. And they really begin to uncover how truly insidious gentrification has been historically and currently in their neighborhood as they dive into the history. And they see how like the different waves of immigration really impacted their community and mm-hmm. how there's these kind of cycles to it, right? Mm-hmm. Where like they have a neighborhood of color and then suddenly the houses are deemed really historic. So a whole bunch of white people come in to try to revitalize mm-hmm. is the word that they use. And their neighbors, Sydney and Theo's neighbors, start kind of disappearing mm-hmm. in the middle of the night. Mm-hmm. Like they wake up one day and suddenly Mr. Jenkins down the street is just gone mm-hmm. and his dog is gone. And he's like a neighborhood staple. 6 a.m. walks his dog every day and they're like, he wouldn't just leave. Mm. And they see that happening more and more to their neighbors. And then suddenly these, you know, air quotes here, nice white people mm. start popping up in those houses instead. Mm. And what really freaks them out is they see um, Mr. Jenkins' dog mm. being walked by a white couple. Mm. And they're like, wait, I know that dog. <laughs> Hold on. <laughs> what happened to Mr. Jenkins? Literally. So they start freaking out a little bit. They're like, Hold on. This isn't just like gentrification. This mm. is something else. And Theo had bought the house in the neighborhood his girlfriend at the time they broke up and his girlfriend started acting really weird Mm -hmm. you know she like had a little freak out in like their neighborhood corner store because there was a cat in there and he's like of course there's a cat in here it's a corner store in brooklyn like duh and she's like that's so unclean (laughs) (laughs) literally i would be like i would pet the cat but you know that's just me but he notices these shifts in her and as their relationship dwindles she like kicks him out kind of thing so he ends up kind of staying with sydney because he's like i have nowhere else to go Mm -hmm. and i want to help you see this project through the walking tour really kind of falls by the wayside as they start to investigate where are our neighbors going. Mm-hmm. And there ends up being like a, a blackout that happens and they know that this is like going to be the night mm-hmm. that everything goes down. Mm-hmm. And it's really awesome to me because as they've been doing all this research into the cycles of gentrification, mm-hmm. the neighborhood elders mm-hmm. show up that night, like literally like in wheelchairs with baseball bats and whatnot. Mm-hmm. They're like, this is not our first rodeo. Mm-hmm. And Sydney and Theo are sitting there like, what do you mean this is not your first rodeo? <laughs> they're like, we know where they've taken them. They're like, mm-hmm. what, taken? They've mm-hmm. taken our neighbors? Mm-hmm. And I, I won't tell you exactly what happens because you got to read it because it's it's a wild ride. Yeah, but it's good. like, it's laugh out loud funny at mm-hmm. parts of it. And it, it really um, leans on some of those like New York urban legends as well, like mm-hmm. the mall people and okay. whatnot. Like, it's, it's so bonkers. But I loved the way it was written in that gentrification is the true villain mm-hmm. in this story and the way that it um, came through in these white characters was fascinating and so mm-hmm. well done and just, oh my gosh, I loved it so much and I cannot recommend this book enough. Oh, cool. Yeah, I'll have to check that one out. That sounds fun. Um, the last one that I have is one that came out back in 1993. Ooh. Um, and I read it when I was young and I decided to read it again. And it's a book that people were talking about when uh, Donald Trump got elected because uh, it is um, about a post-apocalyptic world where there's a person running for president whose, like, slogan is Make America Great. Oh, fascinating. (laughs) (laughs) Um, 
and it is Parable of the Sower by Octavia Butler. Um, and so in it, it is uh, this book about Laura Olamina, or Lauren Olamina, and she is a girl who lives in a enclosed community in L.A. because it's, you know, after all the stuff has happened and there's, like, been droughts and there's been all this turmoil in the country and so these people live in gated communities in order to protect each other and, and stay safe and then there's these bands of people roving around LA in the country that are addicted to like some sort of drug that makes them loot and set things on fire because they're like fire worshippers and they just want to see everything burn and so she ends up her family you know the the looters come into to their area they set everything on fire and she ends up on the run because um, her family ends up, part of them get killed and some of them just disappear and she doesn't know what happens to them. And she and some of her neighbors end up leaving the community. And her father had been a preacher and also a professor at the university. And so she learned a lot from her father about religion and preaching and, you know, preparation. But she has these very different ideas from her dad. Um, she doesn't believe that, you know, God is the answer. She believes that humans and community are the answer and so she starts this religion when she's a teenager called Earthseed and she keeps these journals of like you know about how with all these different little like poems about helping each other and what's important and and their their god is change you know and change is constant and and that's the only god but they don't actually worship change you know they're just like this is just the universal truth everything is constantly changing and we need to accept change and so she ends up, you know, meeting more people along the way and forming this community. And throughout it all, we also see this other community that's been formed that is around this guy who's a preacher and he's running for president. And he and his slogan is Make America Great Again. And um, his people are going throughout these different communities and any of these groups like hers, they just go through and like, slaughter people um, because they don't want any opposition Um, and they're like these extremist religious zealots who just want everybody to follow their ways and have these ideas that are like let's go back to the 1950s or whatever yeah so it's interesting because she you know she builds this whole community and she meets this guy along the way who has some land up in like outside of Seattle, Washington, and they go up there and settle. And I won't spoil the ending, um, but some things happen that are not great. <laughs> I can imagine. <laughs> but there is a second book, so oh. so things continue. Um, and uh, yeah, yeah, she ends up like having kids, and but her kid gets taken away from her. And so the second book kind of follows what happened to her daughter after she got taken away from her. And the second book is a bit more. Um, in that regard, it reminded me of The Handmaid's Tale, where like mm. people's kids get taken away from them and put with different random foster parents, because that's what ends up happening to her daughter. She gets put with these foster parents that belong to this man's religious zealot group, and she has to like follow all these rules, and they don't really treat her well, and like her uh, stepfather sexually assaults her, and like, but um, but the books are really good, and the narrator is really good, and yeah, I love Octavia Butler, so I highly yeah. recommend this. Yeah. No, that sounds fantastic. Okay, I have one final one that is also narrated by one of my absolute favorite audiobook narrators. Mm -hmm. Um, His name is Joel Leslie, Mm -hmm. if you want to look up his stuff. Um, And it's called The Queer Principles of Kit Webb by Kat Sebastian. came out in 2021, so it's just a couple years old. 
And it's a queer historical romance between a cranky ex-highwayman turned coffee shop owner mm-hmm. named Kit and a really uptight lord named Percy. Mm-hmm. So Percy seeks out Kit's help because he wants to rob his dad, mm-hmm. basically. And Kit's this just like cantankerous guy. Uses a cane, runs a coffee shop. He's like, I've got no interest in that. I don't do that anymore. And Percy's like, please, then teach me how to do it. So he's like, fine, I will teach you how to rob your dad, I guess. Um, (laughs) And he's like a notorious highwayman. Like, it was called Gladhand Jack. It was a whole thing. And so Kit and Percy, like, you know, they have these little training sessions where he's teaching them how to fight, how to, like, break in a window. Mm -hmm. Basically, so he can break into his dad's house and steal a book that belonged to his late mother that Mm -hmm. was really important and sentimental to him um, because he and his dad don't get along. But, of course, you know, it's a romance, so they fall in love along the way while Mm -hmm. fighting. (laughs) But I really love Cat Sebastian's historical romances because they often feature, like, older characters with really complex histories. Mm -hmm. So in this novel, for example, Kit's a widower, and he's working through the trauma of, one, losing his whole family, and also losing his best friend Mm -hmm. in a robbery gone wrong. That Mm -hmm. also, um, he got shot in the leg and now has limited mobility Mm -hmm. after that. So he's navigating all these life changes And we see Percy, who's like half his size, Mm -hmm. you know, like this really uptight little lord, um, just kind of bring that out in Mm -hmm. him. It's a very much grump and sunshine trope. Mm -hmm. And I love the way Cat Sebastian can put those pairs together. Mm -hmm. Um, And Joel Leslie is one of my favorite narrators, and he specializes in LGBTQ fiction. Mm -hmm. Um, He's from the U.S., but he lived in the U.K., so he does a lot of those historical romances that feature like characters from both sides of the pond, Mm -hmm. if you will. And his accents and character voices are just spot on. (laughs) Like, he's a bit over the top, but -hmm. that's why I love him. Uh Um, Uh Because you can tell all of his characters apart. Mm -hmm. You are just thrown into the story with him. He just, like, grabs your hand, takes you on a wild ride. And I love that. Mm -hmm. Like, I just, it's one of those narrators that I can't hit pause at any good time because (laughs) the story is just too good. You know, it's like I have to continue. So highly recommend Joel Leslie if you love queer historical romances and Cat Sebastian if you're looking for just... A fun and complex historical romance as well. Okay, cool. Yeah, yeah. So if you have any questions about other audiobooks that you would like, you know, because I know that we only covered a few genres and there's more than what we've got here. Oh, yeah. Um, you can always stop by the library and ask one of us librarians. We'd be happy to recommend stuff. Um, we have limited time on the podcast. I mean, there's so many audiobooks that I love. And I, oh, I know. And I know we've mentioned some of them earlier on this season, you know, like the Anthropocene Reviewed and, you know... When we did the nonfiction episode, I mentioned a bunch of my favorite nonfiction ones. Oh, and, absolutely. Like, yeah. got the Bridgerton series. I did all that as audiobooks. Yeah. There's, there's so many good ones. Yeah. So if you go back to some of our older episodes, you might find some audiobook recommendations as well. But yeah, you can always come and ask a librarian. But yeah, as always, if you have questions or comments for your host, you can email us at shortstacks at gmail.com. Uh, thanks for listening and be well. The Short Stacks is produced by Lisa Quintero and Lizzie Jelly for the Short Public Library. Music for the show is by Kevin McLeod. The song is called Ice Flow and can be found on incompetech.com.